All right, well, open your Bible this morning to the book of Psalm, chapter number 7. That's where we're going to begin, Psalm chapter 7. This actually kind of goes along a little bit with the tone of a lot of the uh, songs this morning, which shouldn't be any surprise to us. God has a tendency to work that way. Psalm chapter number 7, verses 14 through 16. When you find it, won't you just stand up real quick and Psalm seventeen, or excuse me, Psalm seven, verse fourteen. It says, "Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, and is pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head." And on his own skull, his violent descends. Now, I'm going to title my message this morning in the form of a prayer. And it would be this. Lord, please save me from me. Anybody relate to that just right off the bat? Amen. Lord, please save me from me. Father, we just look to you again, the author and the finisher of our faith. It is by your word that you produce that faith in us. And I believe, I trust you this morning that your word will not return void. That as you speak through me today, God, as a vessel, that it would hit its mark. That would touch each one of us where we live, Lord, that in our heart of hearts, God, we might recognize the truth of this word today and of this message. God, that we not just hear it, God, but that you might let it change us, let it change the course of our life. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 You can be seated. The wicked man conceives evil, is pregnant with mischief, gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head. There's one thing that we can, that we know as human beings is that we are our own worst enemy. Is that correct? We are, as they say, the architect of our own demise. Where we think, in many cases, we're spending our, our life building our life into what we want. In reality, a lot of times, we're building our own demise. We're actually... Uh, you know, working against ourselves, we are our specialists in self-inflicted wounds. Amen. I think, and I don't, I'm just speaking for myself. And but you know, if we get to look in at some of the hardest things that we go through as human beings, I mean, I know that we go through a lot of things that are of you know just circumstances of our surroundings or whatever. Sometimes you know, people can bring circumstances in our life that aren't favorable. But for the most part. Uh, some of the most of the hardships that we go through as human beings are self-inflicted amen bad decisions that we've made things that we've done Um, and so we've got a sin nature that is constantly egged on by satan himself and our sin nature is constantly trying to convince us uh, that our way would be better than god's way Okay, we would never say that out loud. Most people aren't going to say, oh yeah, I know more than God, my way is better than His. We're not going to say that with our words, but we live that with our actions, right? And we live that with our decisions that we make. Our way, ultimately, we've come to the conclusion in our sin nature that our way is better than God's way. And then when it's all said and done, we find ourselves in a mess. How many of you ever can say you found yourself in a mess? How many of you can say, I am a mess? Amen. Say it out loud, I am a mess. Amen. Okay, we're, we've got the confession thing out of the way so we can get somewhere here this morning. Amen. We, we make life hard on ourselves. And in some, in some ways, I mean, sometimes that's through sin, just simple rebellion and doing what we know is not, not right. But sometimes it's not necessarily sinful things that cause us problems. I mean, sometimes we just, we have a tendency to pursue, you know, maybe it's money and maybe it's, you know, we, we, 
How many of you, okay, let me say this. Uh, how many of you have stress in your life? Raise your hand high. Okay. Now, I'm going to venture to say, not in every case, but in, in a lot of cases, and in, in, in mine, much of that stress is self-inflicted. Amen? We make ourselves miserable in life. We get ourselves all stressed out and frustrated, and most of it is self-inflicted. It's not something that God imposed on us. We work harder to get more stuff. Is that a biblical pattern? Not really. So a lot of the problems, be it sinful things, non-sinful things, our the work of our own hands. And so I think it would just be smart for us to get honest with God and kind of let God show us some things about ourselves. maybe. A lot of times we don't want Him to do that. But if we say, God, show me the areas of my life where I'm kind of inflicting my own pain. Lord, ultimately, please, I need you to save me from me. Amen? Because I'm my own worst enemy. You know, God has given us, uh, you know, He's given us instructions. He's given us a way to live that work better for our benefit, right? That's what the commandments are all about. The commandments are not rules to suck the joy out of life. The commandments of, of God are in place to make our life better, amen? And it's when we break those commandments, ultimately, that we bring things uh, upon ourselves. Uh, just give you a little illustration here. Uh, yesterday, kind of goes along with a little bit of mom Sunday school, actually. Um, I'd, I'd been having this, uh, been so busy with building God's house, I've kind of let my house go over the past, over this past summer. Come around the corner, I was barbecuing, and I noticed that this poison oak vine was starting to crawl up my house. It was just this, I mean, it literally had come up the side, it was all the way up to the soffit. I was like, how in the world does that happen? You know, without even knowing it's there, why would there even be poison oak that close to my house? But, uh, so I'm thinking to myself, well, when I first noticed that it, it was kind of top of the deck, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to do something about that, you know, because the, you know, the nature of poison oak is what does it have a tendency to keep doing? Keeps, keeps growing. So, man, I need to do something about that, but I'm too busy right now, right? So I go on about my life, and I come back, and it's a little bit taller. You know, I, I mean, I've got to do something about that. And then I get back, it's a little bit taller, a little bit taller. And as the nature of things are within our life, when we see sometimes that we're maybe not going down the right path, or we're kind of causing ourselves a little bit of problems, we think, I, need, I really need to this, and I need to that, or I need to quit this, I need to quit that. And we know what we need to do, but many times we just don't do it, and therefore the problem just continues to do what? It continues to grow and it continues to get worse until we finally come to a place where we just, we just have to do something about it. And it would be better if we would just take care of things and, you know, at the beginning and nip them in the bud. Amen? It's great that God will help us out of situations that we created. It's good that He'll do that. But wouldn't it be better if God would help us not to get in those circumstances in the first place? Amen? If we might avoid some heartache as opposed to having to get out of some heartache. So anyway... I, so I finally got some weed killer, some high potent weed killer, and, and uh, so yesterday morning I thought I'm, I'm going to go after that poison oak. And so I went out there and mixed it up in my sprayer, and I get it all pumped up. And I go after this thing with the intention of spraying it all down, spraying all the leaves and all the stems. And uh, I get thinking to myself, I'm, I'm going to read the the instructions on this, make sure that I have mixed it up in the proper you know proportions, whatever. So I'm reading the directions, and the directions give me this very a very insightful uh, idea. The instructions say, don't spray all the leaves down, snip it down at the bottom and spray the root. 
Wow, what a concept, you know? And I literally was just about to go after it and spray all what happens. And you know, I'm going to take a, a, a brain surgeon to figure out that if you spray all the leaves, it takes an, an awful long time for that poison, if it ever does, to get to the roots. And ultimately, where does the poison oak grow from? The root. So it makes sense that you would want to eliminate the root and all the rest of the stuff will just kind of die out on its own. So I did what it did. I snipped it off, sprayed it out at the root. And so life has a tendency to sometimes we make decisions and we get ourselves in a mess and we start trying to deal with the leaves, right? We start trying to deal. We start, we change this, we change that. And in reality, God said, what I want you to do is get back to the root of the problem. And many times the root of the problem is that rebellion in your heart against me. That rebellion in your heart that even though, even though you might even love God, we just rebel against his way. Amen. Children have a tendency to do that. They love you, but they come to a point in their life, especially when they hit those teenage years, that they think their way is better than yours, right? Still love you. And so God says, we need to get back to the root, and it ultimately the root of every problem is the sin that is in the heart of man. Amen? Life comes with assembly required. Amen? Let me encourage you this morning to read the instructions first. Amen? God has given us instructions. He's given us His Word that can guide us and save us from an awful lot of... I was going to just... I was going to make things harder on myself than they needed to be with that poison oak. It didn't need to be that hard. And life, we make things harder than they need to be. Folks, I'm a pastor and I have counseled and I visited some, some with you, some with other people. And, I, and, and, my, and in my own life, I just have a tendency to know... We come, oh, life is falling apart. Things are horrible. What am I going to do? And it's good. We want to address that. The things are bad and get fixed. But it's one thing I've noticed, it's very hard for people to go back and realize, I caused this. Okay? Now, it's not to lay blame. and It's not to point fingers. And it's not to condemn anybody. But before God can fix anything, we have to be able to admit, I caused this. Amen? And Lord, I need you to save me from me and from my own decisions. I mean, let's face it, Jesus was absolutely right when he said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. These people that are hanging me on this cross are sinning terribly and they don't even know it. Amen, we don't know what we do. We're human beings with the sin nature. We desperately need God to guide us and lead us within our lives. Amen. All kinds of examples, obviously, throughout Scripture. I'm not going to belate any of them, but just to... Throw a couple out there. I mean, obviously, you take a look at someone like David. And David, who was, even as a small boy, was able to defeat Goliath, a soldier that is three times his size. But let me ask you, in the life of David, was Goliath his worst enemy? No. Saul was not his worst enemy. Absalom was not his worst enemy. And all those, first of all, all of those enemies, David defeated through the power of God. They were great enemies and they were strong and they were mighty, but they weren't his worst enemy. David was David's worst enemy. Amen? And he admits that. If you read in Psalm chapter 51, it's a great psalm. If you ever need to know how to repent, look up Psalm chapter 51. David will teach you how to repent. He'll teach you how to get things right with God. Because David, ultimately, one of the things he said was, Lord, my sin is ever before me. He recognized, God, I... Uh, so despite Goliath and Absalom and Saul and all these great enemies I've had, I'm my own earth enemy. I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to create in me a clean heart. Lord, I need you to renew in me a right spirit because mine ain't right. Amen? When things really get stinky and life really gets 
rough, just stop and think maybe, maybe I'm just not operating in the right spirit. Not that you're a horrible person. You're just not operating in the right frame of mind. And God can adjust that for us. Amen? How many of you ever had an attitude adjustment from God? I've had more than my share. You take someone like, you look, take a look at someone like, like Peter. That, that poor guy, he was messed up. I mean, you read through the life of Peter, uh, you realize there's hope for all of us. Peter was one of the greatest men. I mean, Jesus used him. He was nothing but a, a fisherman. He wasn't an educated guy. But Jesus chose Peter to literally launch the church that you and I are now a part of, that you and I are now a part of. But Peter was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. Peter's life went something like this. He would say something like, Lord, you can't die. You can't be crucified. This ain't right. To which Jesus replied to him, get behind me, Satan. Right? You, you, Jesus said to Peter, you are valuing, you are looking to what, uh, uh, um, to what is good for man. But you're failing to realize what God's plan is. I'm paraphrasing, but ultimately, you're not looking for the things of God. You're looking for the things of man. Peter had a tendency to do that, just the same as you and I do. He couldn't in his mind fathom why Jesus would be crucified, but Jesus had a greater plan. Peter would say something like, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. To which Jesus replied, okay, then you have no part in me at all. And to which Peter replies, okay, then wash my feet, wash my head. You just find throughout Peter's life, he just didn't look at things right. He was his own worst enemy. And he needed Jesus desperately to step in and show him the areas that he was wrong. Jesus wasn't picking on Peter. I mean, when, when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, you, don't, you got the wrong way of looking at this, then you have no part of me at all. When, when Peter says, Lord, I'll die with you. And Jesus says, no, no, you're going to deny me before the sun comes up three times. Lord, let me help you out with these soldiers. Right? Whack the ear off the soldier. And Jesus said, hey, if you fight by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Peter says, finally, when it's all said and done and Jesus is dead, he says, hey, guys, the Lord's a no-show here. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know, to which Jesus shows up. He fishes and he fishes and he finds that he, he doesn't catch anything. Every effort, he's absolutely fruitless. Sometimes when we go through life and things aren't working, it's because we're not in the will of God. And that's where Peter got to. I'm going back to my fishing, to which Jesus shows up and says, hey, how's that working out for you? Amen? It wasn't working out good at all. So it wasn't that Peter, Jesus was picking on Peter. It's just that Jesus had a calling. He had a work for Peter to do. And he, in order for Peter to get to the point where he could do the work that God called him to do, Jesus just literally had to lovingly show Peter who he really was and how broken that he really was. Amen? Jesus had promised Peter... I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. But he couldn't give them to him too early. Amen. Imagine what Jesus, what would have happened if Jesus would have given Peter the keys to the kingdom before Peter was mature enough to receive it. It would have been chaos. Jesus showed him. Jesus had to save Peter from Peter. Paul acknowledged. He said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul recognized he was his own worst enemy. I think when Paul told Timothy, hey, I fought the good fight, I don't think it was just because he was fighting Judaism and, and all of the problems within the church. He just realized he had to fight himself a lot along the way. And we do. I mean, the, there is, we are depraved. I mean, we look at the depravity of man, the depravity basically meaning corrupt, okay? Human beings at their core are corrupt. And it's an, uh, important for us to understand that the Bible gives the most... De- the Bible gives the most accurate description of who we are and what we are as human beings. It asks the question, uh, is there any righteous in the earth? Of all the human beings, billions and trillions, however many human beings have lived from Adam and Eve until now. I mean, there's six, what, six billion people on the earth now. So imagine how many 
gazillion people have lived since mankind was first created. And the Bible asks the question, are any of those people righteous? And it answers itself, nope. Not even one. Not even one human being is righteous. We are all depraved and corrupt. Man, we're all broken. Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The human heart, desperately wicked. (laughs) Deceitful above everything there is in the world. Our heart is the most deceitful. Jesus came to show us, His purpose was to come and show us that we are rebels against God. Okay? And if we're left to our own devices, we will surely perish. That thing that you desperately want or the thing that you desperately want to do even though everything, even though the Spirit of God is saying, no! The Holy Ghost will do His job. He'll, he'll, he'll try to lure us away from the thing that is going to ultimately hurt us. But the more we ignore the voice of the Spirit, the more we go towards our own devices. And Jesus just come to say, look, I'll give you your own devices. I'll leave you alone if you want me to. But just know that it's going to end in your demise. That you ultimately will perish in the end. We just have that choice now. So unlike the founders of all of the other worldly religions in the world, uh, that ultimately will imply that we are inherently good. You take someone like, you know, like, uh, you know, and I'm not an expert on world religions, but like Buddhism and Hinduism and all these, a lot of these other religions that imply that as human beings we are ultimately good and we just need to get gooder. Jesus comes along and says, no, you're not good at all. I mean, ultimately, I love you, Jesus says, but you are rebels against God and are on the path to destruction. There's, there's two paths to choose. There's a straight and narrow path that leads to life and everlasting life, but there's a broad broad path that leads to destruction and most people are going that way that's what jesus taught we are broken and you ultimately need saving no matter how good of a person that we are the depravity of man or the corruption of man is the one verifiable fact in other words that's the one thing that can be ultimately proven there's a lot of questions in life that maybe we don't have all the answers to but when it comes to how corrupt man's heart is That's one thing that can be proven. You say, well, how do you prove it? Uh, The fact that we have prisons, that they even exist. Why do prisons exist? Because the heart of man is corrupt. Go to an airport, fly somewhere. You know, are they going to just let you on the airplane because you have an honest face? No, they're going to run you through a metal detector and boop, 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 you know, with the thing. Why? Because man is depraved and corrupt and they've proven that by bombing planes and buildings with planes and all that kind of stuff. There's, as a, as a banker for many years, and I know Gene uh, knows this, and Jennifer and Cheryl and all those who are, are bankers, and, and in every industry, really, there are regulations in place. And there is, they're annoying as all get out, are they not? Banking regulations are very annoying, and they get in the way, and they're just frustrating. But do you know why they exist? Because of the corruption and the depravity of man. What happens if they're not in place is that people start ripping people off, and nobody's protected from deceit why do you have a door well, i mean why do you have a lock on your door how many of you have a lock on your front door everybody does why is it even necessary to put a lock on a door because the heart of man is co- corrupt it, it's verifiable it's provable we know that say so, okay dennis well, you're not telling me nothing that i don't already know and maybe not but we need reminded at times amen about the time that we think we're, we've got this whole thing figured out, okay, God's got to be 
proud of me now. Look how good I am. Look how good I'm doing. Going to church now. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And God will still show you something that you're doing wrong. Amen? Because even though we're human and even though, I mean, even though we're Christians and we love Jesus, we still have that sin nature that we battle on a daily basis. Our quote-unquote good is still depravity. Amen? No matter how good you get and think you are, in God's sight, we're still corrupt. Um, I, read, I, I read a story uh, this week about a man. Uh, he was an Orthodox Hindu man, okay? I mean, he was influential in the Hindu temple, and hope, he was, but he was a very noble man. He was a man of impeccable character. He always treated people with respect, would never cheat or dishonest, dishonor anybody. Um, the, the thing about this guy was, the story said that he... Uh, of course, you know, the, the, nature, the culture is different in some of those cultures. He married his wife, and for, for somehow, however, you know, they have these arranged marriages, and he had never, had never, they had never really even seen each other much or even got to know each other before they were married because the whole thing was arranged. Well, as it turns out, when his wife actually saw him, after they were married, then she really sees him, and she didn't like what she saw. And she kind of rebelled about, against this whole thing. But he said, this was his comment to his wife, who didn't really like him. He said to her, look, if I have to sleep outside, I will, if, if that's necessary. But I made a commitment to you to take care of you and deliver you, and I'm going to honor that commitment. And that was just the kind of man this, he was. He was just a man of impeccable character. But he, was, he found himself on pursuit. His son had gotten saved and became a pastor of a church, and he had gone to his son's church on several occasions. He had read a lot of books. He was a very intellectual man, read a lot of books about different religions and the paths to God and all of this. Um, but he still kind of stuck towards his Hinduism because that's the way, that was the way he always was, the way he was raised. And on his deathbed, at the end of his life, his family all gathered together. His wife, who was a, was a very influential woman within the Hindu temple, and, and their family and friends come to his hospital bed, and we're going to you know, do their Hindu thing, put their, his mark on, their mark on his forehead. I don't remember the whole deal. And he says, no, I, w- I want you guys to gather around. I want to tell you something. He said, you guys know that for, I have always been a faithful member of the Hindu temple. And he said, you also know that for the past 40 years, I have devoted my life to the pursuit of answering the question, what is really the true path to God? I've read books. I've gone here. I've gone there. And he said, I want you all to know that I have finally found the answer to that question. And the answer to that question is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And he alone now is my Savior. And I want you all, as I now depart this world, I want you all to know that, that Jesus is the way. The thing about that is this. The guy was in his moral framework. He was very good. He was a good moral man. But he recognized that his goodness, there's got to be a better path to God than just my goodness. Because what I determine is good, somebody else may determine is bad. The, the Muslims will fly a plane into a, a building and kill people under the assumption that that is good. Right? So good is relative depending on who you are and where you're from. So he's, he, he knew my goodness cannot be a path to God. And he recognized through the work of Jesus Christ, Jesus is that which is good. He is the path and the true path to God. Hallelujah. What a revelation. How faithful God is to show us that and show us that path when we're looking for it. There was a media reporter one time that asked Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger, you know, got into a lot of mess. We know, you know, some of the things that he got into and and got himself into a lot of trouble. And this media reporter asked him, said, how did you manage to lie 
to so many people for so long? And this is what he answered. He said, because I lied to myself that whole time. He lied to himself and convinced himself that he was right even though he was wrong. And because he was able to lie to himself, he was able to lie to others. And that's the nature of the human heart. Amen? The fact, I mean, that ultimately proves our correction. The very fact that we can lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that we're right when we're wrong, that shows how depraved and corrupt we are. That's what's scary, ultimately, folks. Let me, let me just be honest with you this morning, that if, if we do what is wrong, or we start down that path and the Holy Spirit convicts us, um, that's a good thing. We're, it's showing that, hey, uh, sin doesn't have a hold on me. It's trying, but the Holy Spirit is, is dealing with me. But if we ever get to the point where we can sin, and we can operate in a path that God didn't choose for us, and convince ourselves that we are still okay, that is a very dangerous place to be in. We want the conviction of God to be at work in our life. God help us, let us save us from us. Let us never believe our own lie. Because when your flesh wants something bad enough, you'll do everything you can. Your flesh will try everything it can to convince you that you should have what you want and that it's okay. But because you or me convince ourselves something's okay, doesn't make it okay. That's why God gave us His Word. This is a straight line, this is the standard. It's a straight line and God says, this is the right way, this is the path that leads to everlasting life. And no matter how much you convince yourself that over here is okay, you're not okay unless you're over here. Amen? We need Jesus to save us from us. There was a man who led one of the greatest, one of the world's largest IT companies. And he fudged, he got to cook in the books. He fudged the books and he milked the company for millions of dollars. After he was caught and sentenced to prison, this is what he said. He said, I rode this tiger of deceit for so long that I was afraid to get off lest it eat me up. Think about that. I rode this tiger of deceit for so long I was afraid to get off lest it eat me up. He recognized that he had gotten caught in his own trap. And somewhere along the way, he kind of wanted out of it, but there was no place to get out of it. He was hung in his own deceit, in his own trap. If you were to talk to him, I bet if you were to go to prison and talk to all of the people who were there, the majority of those people in prison would admit, I got caught in my own trap. I I didn't intend for it to go that far. I I got caught in my own trap, and I just didn't know how to get out. Amen? And it happens a lot because of the nature of our human will. Now, fortunately, along the way, when we begin to realize, hey, this sin thing's not working out for me. I want to be fixed. God can fix this. God can help us. God can change things. But many times we still have to wreak the havoc. We still have to reap all of that devastation. Uh, there's, been, there's a lot of people, folks, that will enter the glory of heaven for all eternity and live in peace with Jesus that have left a wake of destruction behind them in this life. Amen? And, and, and if we were to able to turn back in our life and look and somehow God pull back the physical realm and allow us to see into the spiritual realm, we would find that each one of us have a pretty good wake of destruction ourselves. Things that we've done and decisions that we've made that, that just left, path, you know, destruction, hurt people, um, you know, cost us things that were valuable to us. That's just what sin does. It promises a lot, but it gives very little. Amen? Uh, there's a preacher, I don't know if you've, have ever heard of uh, Rabbi Zacharias. How many of you have ever heard of Rabbi Zacharias? Have you ever listened to him? If you YouTube him. If you've never heard him, 
very influential, great man of God, minister of God in our day and time. Very smart guy. I mean, you have to listen. He'll take you. He'll take you deeper. He's very, very intellectual uh, man. He's actually an Indian man. He used to be Hindu and and got saved. Uh, anyway, I was listening to him this week, and he said there there was an interview. A New York Times reporter called him and asked him uh, for an interview. The guy was wanting to talk to him about you know the economic the economic downturn. And, um, and how it was related to, you know, religion and all of that type of stuff. And so uh, Ravi said, I don't know, you know, if he was baiting me or what he was wanting to. So he said, I, I, I agreed to the interview. But before the guy started, Ravi said, uh, if you don't mind, can I, can I ask you a question first, please? Before we start, I would like to ask you a question. And the reporter said, well, okay, what is it? He says, in our universities, in our colleges, we teach, we take budding businessmen and women. They're just getting in, they're, they're getting into the world and they're getting ready to go out into the business world. He said, we bring them into our universities and we teach them that there is no moral absolute. There's no moral absolute law, that, that morality is relative. And what that means ultimately is this. Uh, we all evolved from nothing, right? So there's no God. We teach them in our universities. Look, there's no God that you have to um, answer to. We just are here by some weird freak of nature and by circumstance. And that morality is relative. What's that, what that means is, depending on what your surrounding culture determines is okay, that's what's okay. So if your society says something is fine, then it's fine. If your society says it's not fine, then it's not fine. There's no absolute right or wrong. That's ultimately what we're teaching kids in college when we take God out of the equation. And then, he said, when they graduate and those students become CEOs of companies like Enron, then we put them behind bars because they are operating on an ethic that says there is no moral absolute and that morality is relative. And we throw them in jail. He said, my question to you is, should we bring these professors up to trial? Put them up on charges. It seems only fair because that's what we're teaching them. Makes perfect sense. Amen? We as our society, when we look around and see how it's crumbling, all the corruption and all the stuff taken off, we are, are living in the bed that we made. We, as, as a society, need saved from ourselves. We are our own worst enemies. We have architected our own demise because we, take, we teach kids, we take God out of the equation and say anything goes and then like hypocrites throw them in jail when they follow the path and the rule of law that we have instilled in them. You know what happened? You know what would happen if, this, if, if, if the universities as a whole would, come, would get saved and come back to that moral absolute. They'd come back and say, look, you were created by a holy, almighty God, and everything you do, whether it's your family, your career, you should operate off of the rule that God has implied for this world. Do you know what would happen to this world around us? It would change the course of everything. Because it would be something that people would go by. They would think twice before they would cook their books. Of course, sure, there's always going to be sin. But let me tell you something, it wouldn't be rampant. We would have avoided an awful lot of problems that this country has, got, has had to endure over the years. We'd avoided a lot of those had we just taught people there's a God and you need to be concerned about what He thinks of you. Amen? Because you're, the, you're completely different than Him. You're not good. You're bad. At the core, all of us are. But God is good, and He loves you even though you're bad. And through Jesus, 
He'll make you good. Amen? He'll enable you to do what is right. It's, it's Jesus and only Jesus that saves us from us. If, if we change the definition of what a human being is, then we have to change the, being corrupted heart, then we have to change the definition of sin. And if we change the definition of sin, then we lose ourselves forever. Right? And, that, and that's part of the problem is we have grayed and, and watery, we, we've kind of murkied the water of sin. We've kind of, we've taken that straight line where God says, this is sin, boom. And we just kind of, you know, spread that out a little bit and grayed it out and smeared it so that there's no true line because we as human beings, what are we always looking for? A loophole, right? I want my cake, but I want to eat it too. And so we've murdered, murdered this line. And as soon as we uh, smear the line of what sin is, then we have opened ourselves up to a whole world of hurt. We just have to be honest with ourselves, honest with God, honest with our children, honest with our society, honest with our churches, and say the straight line, the line is still the line. Call it what it is. Sin is sin. We're rebellious at heart against a God that is perfect and pure. And what happens is this. When we are, there comes a point when we are completely bent as a society, and I believe even as a person, when we absolutely refuse to acknowledge our wrong and that God is right, God lets us have our way. It is absolutely the worst punishment God could give anybody. If, you are, if, you're, if you're sinful, if you're outside the will of God, if He were to destroy your house, take your family, rip your job away from you, if He was to strip you down and leave you with nothing, that would not be near as bad of a punishment as if he just let you be. Let you have your sin. It's the worst punishment God could give. Because when we're left to our own devices, we will face destruction no, guaranteed. And God don't want to do that. That's why God, when things happen in our life, we get off track and things happen, it's really not God punishing us as much as it is. God just trying to wake us up, get our attention, and bring us back because He don't want to give us over to our sin. But in the first chapter of Romans, Paul talks about that. He said, look, these, the people who do not like to retain God in their knowledge, those who worship the creature, that that's been created, more than the Creator. He said, to them, they... they he talks about all kinds of unspeakable evil. Man lying with man, woman with woman, hatred. I mean, he gives a whole long list of what happens when men are kind of left to their own devices, the sinfulness that takes place. And he goes on to say that there comes a point where God will just turn them over to a reprobate mind. He will give them over to the things and the sins that they seem to so desperately want. And it's a, that's the worst place in the world a person could be. That reprobate mind... You know, I grew up being taught that that meant you, it wasn't possible for you to be saved. And I don't know that that's necessarily what Paul is saying, that God's going to turn you over and it's not possible. But let me tell you something. When God's turned you over and you have, you're completely engrossed in your sin and you can't see the wrong in it, it's awful hard, if not impossible, to be turned from that. Amen? Because it's the Spirit of God that draws us and shows us who we are. I don't know exactly the depth of what reprobate mind means. I don't want anywhere close to it. Amen? I don't want anywhere close to it. I just want to be yielded to the, to the Lord so that He can show me, me. And that He can save me from me. Sometimes that's all I can pray. I get frustrated with myself. Do you? I just get frustrated with myself sometimes. I want to do what is right. I really do. I want to do what's right in the sight of God. 
I want to be right in every conversation and in every thought. And there's just times things how I, I, I do things, say things. I think, Dennis, what in the world are you thinking? And all I can do is go to God and say, God, I just help me. I mean, save me from me. I am just, I'm in a mess here. And I don't understand it other than that sin nature that's constantly pulling. Folks, that, but one day that's going to go away. One day that'll all fall. If we stay faithful, however long we live, it's a relatively short period. It's a short time on this earth. If you live to be 100 years old, that's, that's really not that long of a period of time. If we just endure through this and, and, and commit, be honest with God, be honest with ourselves, let God lead us and save us and keep us, then one day this old flesh will fall off and we'll take on that glorified body and we won't, we won't have to fight this anymore. It's a temporary fight. Amen? Amen? But it just shows how much we need Jesus, how much we desperately need Jesus. It's not a... I mean, I, he is a take it or leave it thing, but it's not a take it or leave it thing. I mean, you have to either take it or you have to leave it, right? We, we, we don't take a little bit of Jesus. We don't just toy around with a little bit of Jesus. We don't keep, you know, our, our old life, but throw a little church in there. That's just, just not how it works. It's either, we, we, it's either all in for Jesus or not at all. And he's the one that said that, not me. Because he knows that there's only so much he can do with any of us if, we only, if he only has half of our heart or part of our heart, right? So Jesus... The scripture says, became sin for us. He never sinned, but he became sin. When I, I like in Colossians, we're, we're, we're studying Colossians, where it talks about how he took our sin and nailed it to the cross. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, my sin was nailed to the cross. He became sin and my sin was nailed to the cross that I might be free from it. The sin, sinless became sin so that I could be sinless. Amen. Holy became unholy so that I could be holy. Perfect became imperfect so that I could be perfect. Purity became impurity so that I could be pure because I could never be that on my own. That's how much we desperately need Jesus. He's the only one that can save us from sin, Satan, and self. Amen? Jesus, who is is the exact opposite of us, put himself in our place put himself in our place in order to save us from us. Do you know who ultimately deserved to be nailed to that cross? You and me. We deserve that. If if we were to be killed right now because of our sins and rebellion against God, we would deserve it. We would absolutely deserve it. But rather than nailing me to the cross, Jesus was nailed there and my sin was nailed there so that I could go free. Praise God. I don't know about you. I love Jesus so much. Where would we be without Him? We would be so lost. And this morning, I pray that this word soaks down in your heart today and that if you're here this morning and you're still in that fight, you're still in that struggle, you've not, you've not released your life to Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to do that this morning? You, you know me. I'm not, it's not just about religion. We're not trying to... We're not going to have you try to sign a church membership book. It's just, I, want to, I would like to see Jesus save somebody this morning. Save you. If you're not saved, if, you don't, if Jesus is not your Savior, if you're not a Christian, you are not saved. You're unsaved, which means you're lost, which means that all you have to look forward to is an eternity in hell. But when we talk about being saved, I'm saved. It means Jesus saved me from hell. Amen? He gave me the hope of eternal life. If you're not saved this morning, I'd like for you to be saved this morning. Let Jesus save you from you. 